tonight with uh, some more time of discussion in smaller groups. I just think that's been so valuable for us. The feedback I've gotten from you guys has just been really positive about having time, um, not only to discuss in a large group, but having time to discuss in a smaller group. Um, especially, I think, as we go through the book of Luke, there's just, Cassie and I approach in teaching is just going to be to let the word speak for itself. <laughs> so there's going to be lots of room for discussion and conversation about it, which I think is so much more valuable than us coming with some sort of like, this is what it says and this is what you should do. I just think the word of God has power to speak for itself. So um, if you do have a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. Um, I just I just love um, just the honor of serving with each of you guys um, as part of God's church and to bring the love and forgiveness of Jesus to every corner of our city and our world. I'm just so excited about what God is doing here. I love um, pastoring and being part of Mosaic. Um, just Sometimes I just feel like I need to say that to you guys, just how wonderful it is to be a part of community and to be a part of the church um, and just... God is just up to so many things. And even as we talked tonight in our groups, we can see even just the little things that God is doing in us. And sometimes when we don't take time to think about those or take time to talk about those, we can fall into this low where we don't feel like God is doing anything. And the reality is God is constantly moving. He's constantly talking. He's constantly doing things even when we can't see it or recognize it. And I just think that's what's so wonderful about being in communities. We can share and see and, and view things in a different way. And so... I'm just so excited about what God is up to. Um, but before we jump in to the passage tonight, I um, just want to have a refresher from last week as we talked about John the Baptist. Um, as Luke describes, a voice in the wilderness, right? John was an odd guy. Um, he was a mountain man um, who wasn't afraid to speak his mind to both religious and non-religious. I mean, John just, he was one of those guys who was the epitome of, I say it how it is. <laughs> And uh, he wasn't afraid to even take very harsh passages of Scripture in the Old Testament and just read them aloud and let people soak those in. And he came with this message of baptism we talked about, um, which, as we said, was uh, baptism was designed for the Gentiles, um, anybody who wasn't Jewish, who wanted to become a Jew. At some point, they would have had to baptize themselves in water as a symbol of, of leaving their old life behind and, and walking in this new life of of following um, Judaism. And so um, John not only welcomed Gentiles into baptism, he welcomed Jews into baptism as a symbol of them leaving behind their empty religion to find true relationship with this Jesus that was to come. Um, John is described as the one who prepared the way for Jesus. And so he definitely was breaking some ground and, and just really stirring some things up that prepared people's hearts for what Jesus was going to bring to them. Um, and I think, for me, I think that John is an amazing example of what it looks like to have people in our lives who not only encourage us in our walks with the Lord, but also challenge us to be all who God made us to be. And I think that's such a great balance for us, right? We can have those people in our lives that just like, they just say really kind things to us, but there is, and that is so valuable. But we also need those people who would just say like, hey, like, that's not quite right. Like, we should talk about that and deal with that. We need people who will be honest with us in our lives in a loving way, but a way that just says, hey, I want to spur you on. As Scripture talks about iron sharpening iron, that we, that we 
we go up against each other in some good ways and just expose things in one another because we love each other and we want each other to look more like Jesus. And that's really what John, um, that's what John did. That's what John modeled to us. Um, and so tonight we're going to spend most of our time um, talking about the temptation of Jesus um, and learning how to defeat the temptations that are thrown our way. I was describing to, um, to some of you uh, earlier this evening that this is about as spiritual warfare as I get. I'm not a uber-spiritual, um, over-spiritualized. Every time I get a cough or a cold, it must be the devil. That's just not how I uh, understand Scripture, <laughs> understand God or spirituality. Um, but we are going to talk a little bit tonight about the enemy of our soul, that there is a real um, spiritual enemy that, that attacks us and comes at us and tries to trip us up and, and get under our skin and cause us to fall into these areas of sin. Um, and he did it to Jesus um, unsuccessfully. But I think Jesus lays out some really good um, things that can show us how we can come against those temptations in our lives and not give in to the things that the enemy is throwing at us. So um, I just want to share kind of a silly um, example of this. But uh, for me, I, I love food. Um, I love good food. And I'm not talking about like kale salads or um, Brussels sprouts, okay? I love like really bad food. I love taco truck burritos. I love pizza. I love chicken wings, okay? I love food. Um, food is a real struggle for me sometimes. Uh, Cassie and I are trying, um, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully, which I think is a beautiful picture of how we deal with temptation, sometimes successfully and sometimes unsuccessfully, um, to eat right and to do all of these things that seemingly lead you to like a longer life, um, to healthier and more productive like humanity. Um, we're trying to do those things, right? To run and to go to the gym and to you know eat better. Um, and I always feel like Good food is really like my nemesis. It's like my, I love food so much. Um, and it seems like it's only a call or a drive away, right? And it's like, oh man, that taco truck is like one block from my house. It's so close. It's only five bucks, man. I got cash in my pocket. I could go get it right now, right? And I often find myself giving into the urges and then it becomes like a landslide, right? It's like one poor choice turns into another poor choice, turns into like a week of poor choices and a month of poor choices. And then all of a sudden, you're 50 pounds overweight and you're what they call obese. So um, it just happens fast. This is my life. Um, and all joking aside, food is really a great temptation for me. Um, and maybe food is not your nemesis, right? Maybe it's not what you battle against. Maybe it's being liked by everybody, um, having to be accepted, um, or maybe it's about having all this money in the bank, or maybe it's about being the smartest person in the room um, with the, the greatest amount of uh, degrees on the wall, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's um, being right when it comes to politics. But each of us has these nemesises in our lives um, where the enemy knows he can pick at us and, and try to get at us and trip us up, right? We all have our things, uh, which yours may not be food, but that's mine. So my question is, what is your spiritual nemesis? Um, our temptations and struggles can really be a million different things in this life. The world has so much sin it can offer us. There is no end to the amount of things um, that are at our fingertips constantly. But what I love about Luke 4 is that Jesus shows us another way. Jesus shows us a better way. Jesus shows us a way for us as humans, which he was one, to overcome the enemy's power to lure us into sin. 
Um, and I'm so excited to just adventure in this scripture um, because I really feel like it's going to leave us with some real practical tools that we can put in our tool belt as followers of Jesus. I just think he approaches it so practically um, in this passage. So I've asked Brooke to read the first 13 verses here, and then we'll kind of come back and, and hit 14 through 30 um, towards the tail end. So. <clears throat> then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then, then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. The devil said, Because they are mine to give to anyone I please, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. So we picked the story up right after Jesus had been baptized by John um, in the Jordan River. And it says that he immediately followed the leading of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness or into the wild. Um, which sometimes I just have a hard time, like, like God led him into the wilderness. Like that was, a, that was a time that Jesus had to go through. And I think even for us, sometimes uh, God leads us into wildernesses so that he can refine in us what he is doing for us, that he can do his work in us. And so he leads him into the wild for a period of, of fasting, which lasted 40 days and 40 nights, all while he was being tempted by the devil. Jesus was hungry, like he was human, right? Some people say like, oh, well, Jesus was God, so like he wasn't hungry or anything. Like, no, Jesus was super hungry, right? Why do you think the devil in this place asks him like, hey, I'm going to give you some bread, right? Like that... He obviously was going through those things. Um, and, and like I've said over and over again, and some people have different opinions about this, I don't think Jesus had really a need for fasting. Um, or like the reality that we're withdrawing from food to better connect with God. Um, I don't think he really had a need for temptation. Um, it says later in the Gospels that uh, there was no need for fasting of Jesus' disciples because the bridegroom was there. Jesus was there, right? They could physically be with God. So there wasn't a need for fasting in this period of time when Jesus was around. And, and, and also, I don't think there was a need for temptation because uh, Jesus was God, um, and he was and always will be perfect. And there are different interpretations of that. But I think, again, it's, it's one of those moments where Jesus spends a great deal of time in the Gospels showing us what it's like to be a human um, who's trying to follow after God. He sets an example of what a Holy Spirit living life looks like. Um, he literally is showing us like what those silly like 1990s arms bands said, like what would Jesus do, right? Like he's literally showing us that as silly as those, those things were. And in the midst of the temptation of Jesus, I think we see three ways in which the enemy of our souls comes for us. Um, three tactics he uses to trip us up. And I think that these are as applicable as they were 2,000 years ago. They're the same. He uses the same tool belt, the same things to come after us. He's not... He's not as smart um, as he should be. 
Um, and so the enemy uses these natural or primal desires. That's one of the first things he comes after Jesus with. To me, these are food, sleep, sex, or anything that satisfies our physiological body, um, anything that comes after our, our, our physical nature. Um, and so in our culture, we see an over-sexualization on TV. We see it in music and media. Um, we see rates as high as 90% of men and a growing number of women um, struggling and consuming pornography on a regular basis. Um, we see an obesity rate in the United States that is one of the greatest in the entire world. Right? So the enemy of our souls, he comes after our bodies. He comes after our physical needs and desires. And that's one of the first things he does when he comes after Jesus. I think this is a huge temptation for God's people. Secondly, he comes after our desires for power and control. Um, this is our desire to control our own destiny or the lives of others. Uh, to me, this manifests itself in greed, um, in selfishness, and in narcissism. I think America probably has the greatest number of narcissists in the world. Um, we just think that we're in control of everything, right? We think we're the greatest thing since sliced bread, right? Um, and we see in our culture a landscape of human interactions where we're out for number one, right? We're looking out for me. No one else is going to do that for me. I got to go get it. I got to go fight for it. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter what it takes to get what I want. I'm going to go get it, right? I'm going to be the controller of my own destiny. I'm going to fight and I'm going to claw for whatever it is that I want, right? When the reality is, is that we're not in control of any of this, right? We're barely even in control of ourselves. I mean, we, we can live a life, um, we can make our decisions, but the world around us moves, right? God is in control of it, not us. We're not the puppet master in this scenario, um, as much as we might try to control. And third, um, the enemy comes out at us with fame and attention. Um, this is our desire to have wealth, to be famous, or to be noticed, even if it's for the wrong reasons. I mean, we see like thousands of YouTube channels of people just doing stupid things um, to be famous, right? To be YouTube famous or Instagram famous or whatever it might be, right? We see a media landscape where we glorify those who make music or movies over those who serve other people, right? That these, that these uh, celebrities, as we call them, are more valuable than people who care for others, more valuable for nurses or doctors or pastors or uh, teachers or these helping professions, right? We print magazines and have whole TV shows where we stock the rich and famous when they go to the grocery store or go to the bathroom or go on vacation, like we take pictures of them. We are obsessed with fame and with attention and we spend our lives trying to gain attention from others in any way that we can, no matter what it costs our soul, right? Um, it makes me think of... Um, there was, there was these movies that came out, and I, I don't even... They, they were a bad... They were a bad word. I'm not going to uh, say here. But it was guys just doing stupid things, like putting their hands in door, you know, doors and slamming it, or going to the grocery store and, like, you know, jumping on top of the aisles, or, like, just doing really dumb things. And there was, like, a whole series of movies that came out, and they were all about just people gaining attention from, from dumb things. Um, and that's really one of the temptations that the enemy comes at us. Um, and I, I think... What we need to realize is that we don't battle um, flesh and blood. We don't even battle the byproducts um, like fame, food, and power. Um, but we battle against the root of the problem, which is the enemy that hates our souls, right? Um, the scripture says that we don't battle against um, people or flesh and blood, that we battle against powers and principalities, things that are outside of this physical world. Um, and that we need to realize that temptations and their byproducts, sin, 
are used by the enemy to feed our brokenness and to medicate our pain. Um, Our God wants to reach into the deepest parts of who we are um, to heal these broken areas of our lives and to restore our identity, right? And so a lot of times when we feed into our temptations, it's, it's because maybe we had a bad day or somebody treated us bad at work or we're just medicating this brokenness in us instead of allowing God to do what he wants to do in the midst of our lives. Um, and often I think we can see temptation and sin and find ourselves falling into a place where we seem hopeless or helpless. But I, what I love about this story is that Jesus, he does things that are humanly possible to go against temptation, right? He doesn't call down fire from heaven. He doesn't call a legion of angels. He doesn't like do something that's supernaturally insane, right? He doesn't do something that only Jesus could do, right? He didn't use his superpowers to come against the enemy of his soul, right? He uses weapons of warfare that literally have access to, all Christians have access to, right? We're going to talk about a few of these items together. Um, That gives me hope, at least, that that I don't have to be be Superman to live a life that's holy. Um, And so, first we see that our God, um, being filled with the Holy Spirit, um, prior to his entrance into the wilderness, right? So even before he goes in the wilderness, he's filled with the Spirit of God. I don't think that was by accident. Um, Romans 10 says, um, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give you life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if... Through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. And so we have the very Spirit that Jesus had inside of Him living within us, right? And He urges us through His Spirit to walk in righteousness, right? Sometimes we, we get caught in this, I have to walk in righteousness because I have to earn my salvation. And that's not at all what Jesus calls us to. But out of our love for God and out of the Holy Spirit's work inside of us, God places this desire in us to live a life that is holy, that, that is honorable to God. Like We want to, to live this life as an expression of our love for Jesus. Not that we're earning it, but because of the work that God has done within us, it wells up within our soul and lives out in our physical bodies, Right? And so we need to lean hard on the God that lives within us because we cannot walk according to the Spirit without the Spirit's help, right? We need God to move in our lives. And the Holy Spirit, if we surrender to His will and way, empowers us not just to survive temptation, but to live a life of love towards God, ourselves, and others. We were never meant to survive this life. God has designed us to thrive. God has designed us to live a full and abundant life, um, but we must lean on the Holy Spirit. That's our number one thing. Secondly, as we see throughout the passage of Scripture, whenever the devil comes at Jesus with an evil idea or accusation, Jesus responds with words straight from Scripture. Straight from Scripture. He literally quotes Scripture. He uses the whole counsel of Scripture, every last word of it, understood in the context of a loving and mighty God to defend himself from the attacks of the enemy. Even when the enemy in this passage uses scripture in a twisted manner, he twists it and he uses it for his own, his own workings. Jesus responds back with scripture in the right context, right? Um, I love how the Apostle Paul again in 1 Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, 
All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work, right? And so Jesus um, was equipped with the word of God. Um, and we need to be equipped with the Word of God. We need to allow the Word of God to chew on us. I was just talking with Austin today about, we were talking about how God works and speaks in our lives. And for me, it's like, it's when God cuts me open. <laughs> That's just how my life works. Like, He has to do open heart surgery on me, and it hurts at first. So, uh, but I've accepted that. I've accepted that God's Word says things to me, and sometimes I just feel like I get punched in the face. In a good way, like, Tyler, okay, it's time to wake up to this reality. It's time to wake up to this truth. And he doesn't do it out of hatred or, or desire to hurt me, but he, he smacks me on the face with his word, and, and it's good for me. And I have to allow myself to, to go through those experiences um, to equip myself. Um, one theologian says, um, if we're ignorant of God's truth, we are poorly equipped to fight against temptation. Um, so if we're ignorant of Scripture... Um, we're setting ourselves up to fail. Um, we must allow the Bible to penetrate our hearts and lives and shape us from the inside out because it will do that to us. No matter how many times you read it and reread it and reread it, what I love about Scripture is that it's not dead, it's alive. It's a living, breathing thing. So I've, I was just started reading Romans again and I've just been so in awe of like, man, I didn't see that last time. Even on my my iPad, I, I highlight things. And I'm like, I didn't highlight that last time, but that was great stuff, right? So I highlight it in a different color, and then I can go back and see, like, man, what was God speaking to me last time I read that? And the Word is alive in us. Um, and when we do these two things, when we rely on the Holy Spirit and study the Word for ourselves, I believe that we can be more ready for the challenges and attacks that the enemy of our souls will bring against us. Let's uh, continue our journey in verse 14. Through 30. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be? They asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, You will undoubtedly quote me this proverb. Physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow, of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one who healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. 
Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to, to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. In this section of chapter 4, we see a Jesus who returns home um, to the region of Galilee in the town of Nazareth, which was known as a rich and fertile land. Um, weren't quite fertile enough spiritually to receive what Jesus was saying to them. But Dr. Luke uh, says that Jesus um, often spent time in the local Jewish church leading, uh, teaching, and reading from the Old Testament writings. And I love um, that even in this small gesture, which happens throughout the gospel story, Jesus never forsakes joining with God's people in worship and study of the Word. Um, and I think sometimes we can separate sections of Scripture, like this has a different heading. We can separate it from what happened before, but I think this can still speak into that area of temptation in our lives, um, that, that this is connected and I believe that Jesus is showing us another tool to overcome temptation and sin is to remain in community with other believers, um, to remain in fellowship with one another, to remain in encouragement with one another. In that time, um, the Jewish synagogue would have been known as a safe space um, to read Scripture, to worship God together. Um, it would be a safe space to ask questions and to dialogue about what God was doing and what God was up to, um, a place to encourage one another, um, which I think is the same as what it is today in the church, is that this is one or two hours a week where we don't focus on ourselves and we focus on God and what He's up to. We stop for one hour a week to stop worshiping ourselves and worship the King, right? And so even Jesus, He, he takes this and he, he shows us an example of what it looks like to live a godly life. Even the King of kings and the Lord of lords in His human form spends time constantly in the synagogues, spending time with people reading scripture. Even as we read previously, when he was 12 years old, he was in the synagogue. Where did his parents find him? He said, you know, why were you looking for me anywhere else? You knew that I would be in my father's house, right? And so Jesus saw a value in that. And I think it's valuable to us. When we remain in community, we allow each other to encourage and strengthen and challenge one another. I think that that builds us up. It strengthens us. Um, it's like a good workout, right? It stretches our muscles and causes us to grow stronger. And the story goes on to say um, that Jesus read out of Isaiah chapter 61. And this is where Jesus gets in a little bit of trouble. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter 61, but you should go back and read it. It's super good stuff. Um, definitely for us today. But Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captors will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. By reading this passage, Jesus is saying to his hometowners that he indeed is the chosen one, that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, right? To all of those kids he grew up in school with, to all of those parents who had Jesus over for dinner, okay? To all of Jesus' aunts and uncles and cousins and brothers and the store owner that Jesus bought his bread from, that when he was a boy, he interacted with these people. He came back and they were the first people in his life that he expressed his true nature to them, right? Um, and he says even more than that, the scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That are its fighting words to the Jews. That is blasphemy. If Jesus is not the son of God and he says those things, what would have been earned to him would have been a death by stoning. He would have been killed. And um, 
He was claiming to be equal with God, uh, which would have been punishable by death. And the people who were Jesus' neighbors and friends um, who grew up with him and knew him, they, they basically said, how the heck can Jesus say this about himself? We remember him. He was just a little boy. He grew up in town and, you know, he kicked the ball around with my kids and came over for dinner, right? How can this possibly be Jesus? Um, how can he possibly be the Savior? And then Jesus goes through, if he didn't want to go far enough, he goes through this monologue of how there's never been a prophet who's been accepted in his own hometown. Um, and not only does he say that, he uses this imagery of a prophet who goes and uh, instead of going to the Jews, he goes to the Gentiles. And he says the only one who really believed was a Gentile, and they were the only leper that God made clean in that season. Um, Jesus is hitting some really hard religious and cultural taboos in this chapter. He's just hitting them all. And at this point, this is when the villagers pull out their pitchforks, so to speak, um, and the mob forces him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built. They're ready to push him off the cliff, which is not even the right way to kill Jesus. Um, there, there would have been other ways that would have been more acceptable forms of killing somebody who was part of blasphemy. They just wanted to get rid of this guy. So the same people that Jesus grew up with wanted to throw him off a cliff, right? And um, yeah, they were trying to throw him off the cliff. And Jesus, um, even in his love and mercy, I think what I love about him is he has a way of stirring us up with challenges and hard topics um, so that we can see the change that we need in our lives. I know that for me, as um, as a Pharisee. I mean, that's the reality, is that in a lot of ways in my life, I'm a Pharisee, and that's, that's how I live. Um, that God challenges me to live a life that looks more like my Savior. That He challenges my thinking. He challenges the way that I'm living. He challenges what's going on in my heart. God is constantly spurring me on um, and spurring us on and letting us leave behind our religiosity so that we can have a relationship with Him. So we can have more intimacy with him. And that's what he was doing. And in the midst of this moment, Jesus does this incredible miracle that I think we totally pass over. It's like he floats through these people. There's like a mob around him. He's at the edge of a cliff. And Jesus, I don't know if he like turns invisible and goes like through them. I don't know if he like rides a cloud over the top of them. I don't know if he just walks through them and they're like trying to grab him. He's like a, like a spirit or something. And they're trying to grab him and they just can't hold on to him. But Jesus just goes right through these people. There is no logical explanation about how this happened besides the fact that Jesus has superpowers, right? Um, which is so cool. Um, and that's where we end this evening, is just with a Jesus that is beyond, beyond our understanding, beyond our minds, beyond what we can comprehend or understand. Yet, in the beginning of this passage, we see a Jesus that is human, who fights temptations and uses these things like the Holy Spirit and Scripture and community to build himself up to a place where we can overcome the things that the enemy throws at us. And so I just, I'm, I'm really loving and enjoying um, the nature of our God in the book of Luke. Um, I love this exploration of Jesus. Um, and I know that God is going to really use this book to mold us and form us. I'm so excited for Cassie to walk through the last part of chapter 4. Um, and I just, I hope that in this season that we allow Luke to again be alive in us and to challenge us to live lives that look more like Christ every day. 
that we go to the Word and we just say, God, what do you want to show me today? What do you want to do in me today? What do you want to cut out of me today, even if it hurts? What do you want to replace in me today? Because for me, when he does the open heart surgery in my life, when he pulls my ribs apart and he, he starts cutting in there, what I know at the end of the day is he's going to replace something in me that's broken with something that's right. right? He's going to take something out of me that's sick and he's going to leave something in me that's well. That's what Jesus does for us. And so tonight we're going to finish um, with a time of...